on the occasion of a baptism, um, we're going to look at the subject of baptism. And the reason we're doing this, th this has really struck me since I read the book by John Piper, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. Um, read that a number of years ago. And one of the chapters in that book is called Brothers, Magnify the Meaning of Baptism. Yeah, and that really struck me. And what he meant by that is not um, have an uh, argumentative sermon where you address every controversy about baptism and do that a lot. Uh, he didn't mean that at all, but he meant to lift up the, the meaning, the symbolism of baptism. And frankly, when we do that, all Christians agree, mostly, about the meaning of, of baptism. So that, that's what we're going to be doing. But uh, I will set the stage by saying something that I, I suppose is controversial in the sense that not everyone in Christendom believes this. Um, in the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith on the chapter on baptism, for example, it says this, baptism is an ordinance, which means a ceremony, a religious ritual of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ. To those baptized, it is a sign of their fellowship with him in his death and resurrection, of their being grafted into him, of remission of sins, and of submitting themselves to God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. And what I'm emphasizing now is that word sign. Do you guys... Are you guys familiar with the, the Ridgecrest sign on Highway 395 before you come into town? It used to say Ridgecrest Rocks. And now what does it say? I'm not even sure. It says Big Town Brand Small Town Charm. Right. Well, whether you agree with that or not, that's the Ridgecrest sign. And, and we would all agree that the Ridgecrest sign is not Ridgecrest itself. That's what a sign does. Uh, a sign points to something else, the reality. It, it represents something else. And that's what baptism is. It's, it's a sign. It's not the real thing. And um, I do want to just make sure we're clear here. So there's three passages of Scripture we're going to look at really quickly before we move into the content of today's message. So the first one is 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. And in the context, um, Paul is talking about how God knows how to deliver the righteous, just like he um, saved Noah and his family in the ark. And then in verse 21, he makes this interesting statement, baptism 
which corresponds to this. And again, in the context, it's the um, God rescuing, saving Noah and his family from the flood in the ark. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. And a lot of Christians say, aha, there you go. Baptism literally saves. Yesterday, I drove all the way down to Anaheim to spend the afternoon with a lifelong friend of mine, uh, Kent Heimbigner and his wife. Kent is the pastor of a Lutheran church in Texas. And over time, we've had knockdown, drag out arguments over, over baptism. And yesterday, we did not do that. Um, but Kent, for example, would, would look at this verse and say that this is scriptural justification for the Lutheran doctrine of uh, infant salvation, of baptismal regeneration. In fact, recently, he's been putting on Facebook like my friend does because he, he likes to be a troll. And, and he'll say, um, baptize your babies, bapti baptism saves. And if that's all that we read in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, sure. But notice what else Peter says. So baptism now saves you, but then he says, not as a removal of dirt from the body, it's not the outward immersion into water that saves. But baptism saves you in as much as it is an appeal to God, which is what faith is, for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how baptism saves the, the external right doesn't save, but in as much as it is an outward expression of the inward reality of faith, the appeal to God for a good conscience, then baptism saves. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a passage that is often overlooked when Christians debate baptism. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 14. Here the Apostle Paul wrote, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And the context here is Paul correcting their tendency to align themselves under men. Uh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. That's why he's thanking God that he didn't baptize any of them, well, except for these two guys, Crispus and Gaius. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, oh yeah, and also this other group, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. But now listen to verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, 
and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And let me suggest to you that if baptism literally saves, how could Paul say, Christ did not send me to baptize? What Christ did send Paul to do is to preach the gospel. That does save. Faith in Christ, believing the message of the gospel, the message of his sinless life, his sin-atoning death, his victorious resurrection from the dead, that does save. And inasmuch as baptism symbolizes that, sure, baptism saves. And then the other passage, I'll just read it to you. A lot of you know it by heart. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. And baptism, like a whole bunch of other things, is a work. And salvation is not a result of works so that no one may boast. And that's what's behind Paul's correction in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He couldn't boast, didn't even remember who he baptized. The people who were baptized can't boast. Salvation is by grace through faith, not a result of works. So just want to make sure the coast is clear before we go on and look at the meaning of baptism. Baptism doesn't literally save, but it means a lot. It symbolizes very, very important things. And the the first thing that baptism symbolizes is discipleship. Discipleship. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28. In case you didn't figure it out by now, we're going to be looking at a lot of passages. Matthew chapter 28 and verses 19 through 20. This is what's called the Great Commission from Jesus. This is after he had been raised from the dead, but before he had ascended into heaven where he took his place at the right hand of the majesty on high. And Jesus said to his disciples here in the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is why Christians baptize. We baptize because Christ has commanded us to baptize. And we believe that this command to baptize applies to us because of what he says there at the end of verse 20 that uh, behold I am with you always to the end of the age. The original disciples uh, didn't uh, remain with him bodily. They're with him now in heaven. But Jesus does remain with his church and therefore disciples of all nations and all times until he comes again. And so this command to baptize continues. 
to have relevance and continues to be binding upon the church in all ages. And the primary command in the Great Commission is to make disciples. All the nations, all people groups, all kinds of people without distinction. And then what are we supposed to do with disciples that are made from all nations? Two things, Jesus says. Baptize them, in verse 19, and teach them, in verse 20. And that makes perfect sense to teach disciples, like Jesus says, uh, all, that, all that I have commanded you, because that's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner, a follower. And Jesus is our Lord, our master, our teacher, and we are his disciples, his followers, his learners, and therefore for that to work, we must be taught all things that Christ has commanded us. So that makes perfect sense, but then it also makes perfect sense to baptize disciples because that's how Jesus has commanded his disciples to publicly identify themselves as his disciples. When somebody becomes a citizen of the United States, they, they raise their right hand somewhere and they take an oath of citizenship and that identifies them as official citizens in the United States. In a similar way, for someone to become a citizen in Christ's kingdom, the formal way for that to be declared, to be proclaimed publicly, is through the ordinance of baptism. We baptize ourselves into the, uh, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this, after all, is what Jesus himself did in his public ministry. So we're in Matthew. If you look over in John chapter 14, uh, 4, John chapter 4. This is what Jesus did. Notice in John 4 and verse 1. John wrote, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. And then he adds this qualification, this clarification. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for, for Galilee. But notice what we saw in verse 1. So through the hands of his disciples... Jesus was making and baptizing what? Disciples. There's Jesus preaching the word of God, teaching about the kingdom of God, and making disciples. And then he hands those disciples off to his disciples, and they baptized those disciples. Does that make sense? And so what we see in the Great Commission is what Jesus himself did in his own ministry. And then uh, this plays out 
in the early church. We read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, then those who gladly received Peter's word, that's a disciple, those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. The word is preached, somebody believes, so they become a disciple, and then they're baptized. And so baptism is a badge, a public identifier of discipleship. All right, the second thing that baptism uh, signifies, or the second aspect of the message of baptism is cleansing from sin. Cleansing from sin. We had a hint of that in uh, Acts chapter 2 earlier when Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. But look forward in the book of Acts to chapter 22. And here... Uh, Paul is giving his testimony uh, to the people at the temple. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. And here Paul is recounting his encounter uh, with this man, this believer Ananias, whom the Lord sent to, at the time, Saul of Tarsus to baptize him. And so uh, uh, Paul says what Ananias had said in verse 16 here. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Calling on his name is another way of referring to, to faith. And baptism is a visible representation of the cleansing from sin that we receive, not literally through the water, but as we are trusting in Christ. And this is so central to the Christian message. Sin makes us dirty in the sight of God. Often, it doesn't make us dirty before other people because people have a habit of making a, a big deal out of big sins, sins that society disapproves of. And those tend to change. What society disapproves of today isn't the same thing that society disapproved of yesterday. And so sin doesn't always make us dirty uh, in the sight of other people, but sin always makes us dirty in the sight of God. God doesn't just look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And when God looks at our hearts, God sees things like covetousness, lust, Envy, jealousy, and, and hatred. And then there are the big sins, the sins that Paul 
mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There's sexual sin, there's drunkenness, there's debauchery. God sees it all. Nothing can be hidden from God. God sees all of our sin. Even our secret sins, our hidden sins. So that's the bad news. But the good news is that because of what Jesus has done on the cross for sinners like us, he took our place. He died. He was judged. He was condemned. He was separated from God for our sins. Because of that, and because of his resurrection from the dead, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we repent and believe, God cleanses us from all of our sins. So I mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 9 and 10. Paul gives this list of infamous sins. And then in verse 11, Paul says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what happens when God saves a sinner. He washes us, he cleanses us because of Jesus. And in this passage that I just read, there's no mention of baptism. That's why we know that baptism doesn't literally wash us in God's sight, but it does symbolize the washing that we receive because of Christ. Baptism is an outward sign of the inner spiritual cleansing that takes place in our hearts when God saves us. It's a beautiful picture. Then, thirdly, baptism pictures union with Christ. Union with Christ. Look in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And starting in verse 3, Paul writes these words. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And it's easy to skip over when we read a passage like that, <clears throat> but there's this little word with him in verse four. We were buried, therefore, with him. This is one example of many in the Bible that speak of the believer's union with Christ. The fact that we are in Christ and he is in us. Jesus in the Bible is not this distant savior, this 
this person from history or even this Savior who is in heaven, and he is, but we're separated from him by this, this unbridgeable chasm. No. In the Bible, believers are one with Jesus. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's union with Christ on full display. And this passage that we sung about earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And baptism is a picture of that. The, the, the symbolism is the person goes down into the water dies to the old person and the old way of life, and then they're raised as a new creation, a new person, a new disciple. And being joined literally with the water as it surrounds you is a picture of the total immersion into Christ that salvation brings about. So union with Christ. And then number four, I've touched on this already, but death to sin and new life in Christ. I'll read Romans 6 and verse 4 again. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is a burial. And as a burial, it pictures our death. And then uh, look at um, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verses 12 and 13. In the previous verses... Paul's making this analogy between physical circumcision and heart circumcision. And we could say that in verse 12, there's an analogy between water baptism and spiritual baptism. So listen to this, Colossians 2 and verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, once again, it's a burial. And I, I said I wouldn't get argumentative, but um, there are many realities of baptism that sprinkling or pouring also signifies, but there's no way that pouring of water on a person can signify burial. Only immersion into water can properly signify Burial, And we've just seen two passages where Paul says, baptism, burial. Baptism, 
buried. So having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, and then notice this, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So there's this analogy between um, water baptism, physical baptism, and the, the death and resurrection of Christ, and the death and resurrection of the believer as well. And so death to sin and new life in Christ is pictured in baptism. And <clears throat> that's why, while we joyfully baptize children, we're not, we don't believe in the baptism of adults alone, or the baptism of adults alone. Um, we, we do want to make sure that when we baptize children, there's some level of comprehension of what it means to be a disciple. We touched, a, touched on that. Uh, but also this. Baptism pictures death to the old life, the life of sin, the life of selfishness, the life of living for the world, the flesh, and the devil, and, and now newness of life living by the power of the Holy Spirit for King Jesus. All right, and then fifthly and finally this morning, union with Christ's people. So we've seen how baptism is a picture of union with Christ himself. But the New Testament also teaches that baptism symbolizes union with Christ's People, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And notice what Paul writes in verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So this is a great example of the interplay between the symbolism of water baptism and actual spiritual baptism, which is brought about by the Holy Spirit. Notice that here, we're talking about spirit baptism. This is spiritual baptism. Everyone who is born again of the Holy Spirit is joined spiritually to the body of Christ, which is the church, by the way. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And insofar as baptism is a symbol of our salvation, of our new birth, of our union with Christ. It's also a symbol of this spiritual union with the body of Christ. And a lot of people overlook that. And we don't take that to mean that you have to be a member of our church 
to be baptized or you have to promise to be a member of our church in order to be baptized. But I do take this to mean that if somebody wants to be baptized, there should be some sort of desire and commitment to be a part of the body of Christ. Because that is where, after all, disciples of Christ are taught to observe all things that Christ has commanded us. That's the rule of the church. So, these five spiritual meanings of baptism, discipleship, cleansing from sin, union with Christ, death to sin, and new life in Christ, union with Christ's people. More could be said, but we're going to leave it there for today. And we're looking forward to a baptism. We're going to sing, and then we're going to start baptizing. Um, But let me just say that the most important thing that we're going to talk about today isn't the water, but it is what God does to a soul when he saves a soul. And so what we invite you to, yeah, we'd love to see a whole bunch of people baptized, but the most important thing that we're inviting you to today is to come to Jesus. And you don't even need to be baptized to be one with Jesus. The thief on the cross was never baptized, and yet Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Come to Jesus You come to Jesus in repentance and faith. You admit to him your sinfulness. You confess who he said that he is, the Savior and Lord of sinners, King of kings and Lord of lords. And you commit your life to Jesus, and Jesus will save you. Just like Paul said to the Philippian jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these passages of scripture. We thank you for the ordinance of baptism. But we thank you especially for what baptism represents. Thank you for Jesus and what he has done to secure the salvation of of sinners like us. We pray in his name, amen.